passage today is from Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And if you would like to stand, we'll read that together. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Would you be seated? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and we need you. We need your word in our lives. We need your spirit to work in us. Um, I need you. Each of those who are listening today needs you. And so be glorified to, to speak um, and to speak in a powerful way. I pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. Throughout our days, we're surrounded by crowds. Um, neighborhoods, workplaces, public transport. Uh, during the days of the pandemic, less so, uh, more virtual crowds, right? Crowds of people on social media, in the news. Um, we, we have various opinions or stances towards the crowds. I don't know uh, about you, but often... I grow tired of crowds. I can be overwhelmed by the needs of those who surround me. I can be uh, uh, challenged by different points of view and perspective, by different decisions that are made. I can be confused by just sheer cultural differences or worldviews or lifestyles. You know, during the pandemic, there's an added fear of the crowd, knowing that they could present danger. During the time of the elections, there's political polarization, and so the crowd of the other, maybe the other political perspective, can easily be an object of frustration or anger or even hatred. That's how we interact with crowds. Today, our passage gives us a glimpse of Jesus and the crowds. It lets us see closely what he did with them, and, and in a deeper way, how he felt about them and how he viewed them. And I hope that this passage would encourage us and, and give us a clearer understanding of Jesus as the great shepherd and the savior of the crowds, and then also propel us to pray and be sent into the crowds. And so I have four points. Jesus' ministry to the crowds, Jesus' compassion towards the crowds, Jesus' view of the crowds, and then Jesus' command to us concerning the crowds. So first of all, Jesus' ministry to the crowds. The the passage begins with a summary of the, the previous chapters in Matthew, where it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. So if we were to flip through the last few chapters, we'd be encountering stories of Jesus at work. He's cleansed a leper with his purifying touch. He's healed the paralyzed. He has cast out demons. He's given sight to the blind. He has removed fever instantly. He healed a woman who merely touched his garment. 
He even raised a dead girl. In the midst of this, Jesus has also been teaching. He's been speaking about God and forgiveness of sins and calling people to follow him. See, Jesus was proclaiming, as it says, the good news, this message that the king had come, and with it he was bringing in the kingdom of God. This was the Messiah finally here. And he was bringing in a, a, a kingdom that was not just physical, not political, but spiritual. Right? Bringing in forgiveness, eternal life, real restoration in lives and families and society, and eternal life. The verse here emphasized the broadness of Jesus' ministry. Look, it says that he went to all the cities and villages. Not just a couple, all of the cities and villages. And it said he healed every disease and every sickness. Again, in these days of, of polarization and division, we're often segregated into groups of others who think like we do. But Jesus' ministry challenges us. He specifically purposefully did not retreat and huddle together with those who thought like him. His ministry and mission and ours was to the crowds. And Jesus ministered in word and deed. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. He taught in the synagogues. He shared messages of eternal life and restoration. But he also demonstrated the kingdom with signs and wonders. Right? These miraculous healings. These were like neon signs that shone, that said, look, the king has come. He's in our midst. And what's important to see is that Jesus' preaching in his ministry was not just a, a program. It wasn't just impersonal gestures. It, they weren't advertising activities of a worldly politician. Jesus was driven by compassion. Compassion, real compassion. And that's our second point. It says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The Greek word here is a, is a strong compassion. It's a feeling that literally affects the intestines, the stomach. It's a gut-wrenching compassion. Oxford Dictionary defines compassion as sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. This isn't the only time Jesus is described as having this kind of compassion. Matthew 14, 14, it says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. In Luke 7, verse 11 we see that Jesus' compassion is not just for a crowd, but actually for individuals. This is a, a beautiful story. Let me read it for you. Luke 7, 11 through 15. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers stood up. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. 
Jesus was a man of compassion. And he demonstrated the Father's perfect compassion in a human way. Why did Jesus feel compassion for these crowds? What was it about their condition that that got him feeling in body and soul this gut-wrenching compassion? Well, first of all, we see Jesus is genuinely moved and concerned by suffering. He, He knew the suffering of this crowd, dealing with poverty and political turmoil and sickness. In Luke 7, he felt the sorrow of the woman who lost her son. In John 11, Jesus, in in compassion towards Lazarus' family, weeps with them. You see, Jesus wept with those who wept. And likewise, today, Jesus is moved by our suffering. What suffering are you going through today? Maybe you lost a job during the pandemic. Maybe someone's sick in your family. Maybe there's brokenness in relationships. Maybe your kids, your grandkids are struggling with school. Maybe you're facing injustice in some area of your life. Maybe you're burdened by another police shooting, and this time in Philadelphia. It says that they were harassed, flogged by life in one way or another. Today, Jesus looks at us. He looks into your eyes. He looks into your heart. He looks into the intricacies of your life, and He sees and he feels compassion. Jesus' compassion went beyond just suffering. He actually saw deeper into the condition, the existence of these people, that they were really just sheep without a shepherd. This is a a powerful image. A sheep without a shepherd is, as we could say, a sitting duck, right? It's, it's It's lost, Complete mercy of its surroundings. Inevitably, a sheep without a shepherd will be devoured by some predator. Sheep left on their own are helpless and incapable. This was true of the Jews in their day politically. They were under the rule of the Roman Empire. They were dominated and oppressed by foreigners. Their their own leadership, their shepherds, were corrupt. And instead of helping them out, they were taking further advantage of their own people. In fact, Ezekiel chapter 34, the Ezekiel the prophet, describes the condition of the Jewish people before and during the exile in the exact same way, sheep without a shepherd. I'm going to read Ezekiel 34, beginning at verse 2. Ezekiel said, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. They wandered over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. This is what Jesus saw when he saw the crowds. Sheep without a shepherd. Again, it was true politically of their day. And we could say 
similar to today. Some of us feel that. But the, the description is more than political. It's spiritual. Isaiah 5, Isaiah 53 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. People were harassed not merely by political enemies, but by spiritual powers and by their own sin. Created for a relationship with God, they were lost and condemned as they wandered away from Him. See, this description of the crowds as sheep without shepherd applies to all of us, everyone who does not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. This is the human condition. We might not look like it on the outside, right? We, we can have our lives put together, successful in a career, solid bank accounts, social standing, achievement, Facebook posts of smiling family members. But we know that behind all of that, behind the masks and the game of pretend, we are sheep who need a shepherd. Lost in a world that truly is cruel and unjust and often merciless. Suffering the consequences and fallouts of our own mistake, our own sin, and our weaknesses. And so again, know today that Jesus sees you. He sees beyond what's on the outside. The pain, He sees the questions, the burdens, the weakness. Whether it's brought on by unjustness around us, whether it's circumstances, whether it's the result of sin, Jesus looks not with condemnation or annoyance or disgust, but with compassion. Oftentimes, when I see the crowds, I don't feel this. On one hand, I may be impressed by what they have achieved. I may be intimidated by their successes or their confidence. Or on the other side, I may be disgusted by them or judgmental. You see, I forget that deep down, they are just like me. All of them, a sheep that needs a shepherd. And this is the compassionate view that I need, and even during this week especially. That as our differences are magnified by this election, we need compassion. As our hearts are impacted by fear in the midst of pandemic, we need compassion. And so this morning we confess to our God, Lord, we need your help. Give us your hearts of compassion. Jesus' compassion and his ministry of the crowds, though, is more than just an example to us because we are limited and failing. We are not the solution. Is there a shepherd for the sheep? Or Ezekiel in chapter 34, after diagnosing the problem, talked about the solution. The solution is that one day God himself would come to shepherd his people. Verse 11 in Ezekiel 34, the Lord says, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. 
I will feed them in justice. This is not a beautiful picture 600 years before Jesus of the great shepherd coming. And this is why these verses in Matthew 9 not only tell us what Jesus did and felt, but paint the picture that He was the great shepherd for the crowds and for us. You see, He demonstrated that He was the good shepherd throughout His life. His words in John 10 were, I am the good shepherd. And the greatest proof that He is the great shepherd for our souls was when He laid down His life for His sheep. Only months later, Jesus would once and for all rescue His sheep by laying down His life, paying the price of death to deliver us from sin and death and Satan. That's why Isaiah 53 that we read says, All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned each to his own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. This is the good news today. There is a shepherd. And it's good news for us, because as we choose to follow Jesus, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for He is with us. It's good news for the church. Even in the days of a pandemic and challenges, He says, fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is why faith and salvation and Jesus Christ, in essence, doesn't require working or merit, but actually embracing authentically that I am a sheep who needs a shepherd, and that shepherd has come in Jesus Christ. This is the good news for me, and for you, and for the crowds. Now, understanding this, we see the next thing, Jesus' vision of the crowd. After summarizing Jesus's uh, ministry and, and his, his feeling, he changes metaphors and starts talking about a harvest. He says, the harvest is plentiful. Jesus tells his disciples and, and us the truth about who the crowd is. And his vision is not one of hopelessness from the mass of humanity. It's a harvest field that's plentiful and ready. See, his view is expectant, it's optimistic, it's urgent. He sees men and women in the crowd who are spiritually ready, ready to embrace the good news of a kingdom, ready to embrace a shepherd. Jesus used this image in John 4. It was after he had revealed himself to the Samaritan woman and she had gone back to her village and began telling her village about this man, Jesus. And as the village, the, the women and the men, the, the elders and the children are walking down the road to Jesus, he says, lift up your eyes. Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The crowds are ready for harvest today. Why? Because Jesus the King has come, and it's always harvest time. This is the age of the harvest. The season when men and women from all places and people groups and languages are being gathered in like sheep into the fold of God. I've thought about this image a lot. Uh, when I look out into Boston or 
uh, into the Albanian community and I think about the spiritual condition of people, uh, most of the time I wouldn't describe it as a harvest field ready for harvest. I think we see secularism, we see maybe coldness or apathy. We, again, we live in a, a time that's difficult for the spread of the gospel. But I've learned that the, the harvest being plentiful and ready does not speak of how many. It doesn't tell us how many are ready or ripe. It doesn't, in any field, there are spots that have more weeds than others. This metaphor doesn't mean that all are ready. But the harvest being plentiful, plentiful means that some are. That in JP, in Roxbury, in Boston, in your families and social circles, there are those who are ready and waiting, looking and searching for a Savior. Those who will respond to the gospel and the author, offer of salvation. And maybe even today this describes you, that something's growing in your heart an openness to God, questions about faith, an attraction to Jesus. I think of this as I think about a man named Ardit. Ardit is an Albanian man who I've gotten to know over the last two or three years. Uh, I began teaching him English previously. Uh, During the pandemic, we've gotten to know each other more through Zoom calls, and he's been part of Bible studies that we've done in Zoom Ardit is in his 70s. He came with his wife two, two or three years ago to help their adult children with the grandkids. He comes from a Muslim background, but really because of communism, more of an atheistic worldview. I would not expect him to be a harvest field ready for the gospel. But he is devouring scripture. He loves talking about the Bible. God is at work. And God is doing something in his life. And, and it's a reminder that Jesus tells me, and you, the harvest really is plentiful. And because of that, we see the last part. There's a need for workers. And this is the fourth point. Jesus' command for us concerning the harvest. When I think of the vision of a harvest field, I think of cornfields in western Michigan where I grew up. Huge swaths of land filled with corn. And especially before the days of large combines, harvest time was when everybody worked. All hands on deck. Not just the farmer, but the children and the friends and anyone they could find. Because there was urgency required workers. So it is with God's harvest among the nations, among the crowds, among the peoples who are around us. God has chosen for the kingdoms to spread through us, through people. Workers are needed. And this is where God gives the command through Jesus concerning the crowds, a command that we don't expect. Because when I think of the natural solution to a lack of laborers, I would imagine Jesus to say, go, get your clothes on, get to work. But he doesn't say that, does he? He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You know, this strikes me. The the harvest is ready, the fields are ripe, men and women are waiting to hear and embrace the good news, but he says, hold on a moment. Ask, pray, pray that the Lord of harvest sends out laborers. Why does Jesus do this? 
We know later on in chapter 10, he does send out those disciples into the harvest field. But first he tells them to pray. Why? Well, because God is the Lord of the harvest, first of all. And in prayer, we submit ourselves to his plans and his ways and his glory. In prayer, we recognize that we must be sent, that that even with good intentions, we can run ahead of God. We need his directions, his empowering, his equipping. Without him, we can do nothing. Not sure about you, but I think generally Christians today, we have a hard time praying. Prayer seems unproductive. It's time-consuming. It requires stopping and turning off the technology, all the things that distract us. In some ways, the pandemic has offered us opportunity to embrace prayer. Yes, activity in many ways is limited, but prayer is not. And this is not the first and greatest work that God calls us to do. And so will you pray for laborers in your family, in your neighborhood, in Boston, in our country, in the world? And don't be surprised that as you pray, the Lord of the harvest by His Spirit puts His hand on your shoulder and says, go. Ascending is corporate, but it's also personal. And He tells us as we pray, go. Write that email. Make that phone call. Have that conversation. Say today and this week, as we do life surrounded by crowds, whether again, whether in person or virtually, as we navigate an election and a pandemic, may God give us compassion to see the crowds and to see us as we truly are, sheep without a shepherd. And may he also help us to see Jesus as he truly is, the great shepherd of the sheep. And in doing so, may he propel us to pray and to take part in compassionate action. Let's pray.